You're listening to Building the Broncos with Nick Kendall and Carl Dummler, Broncos country's leading draft and scouting analysts. Get on over to milehighhuddle.com to sound off on all things Broncos. Hello there, Broncos country, and it is once again time for another episode of Building the Broncos. I'm your host, Carl Dummler, and joining me again today, as as Nick is on his way home, he told me he should be back on Thursday so we can record once again and, and hear how all of his wedding went. Uh, I don't know if you saw all the pictures, Jeff, from, from his wedding. I did. It looked like a beautiful ceremony, and it looked like they got a little snow, and so just super picturesque. I'm really happy for Nick. Yeah, for sure. I, I actually did a wedding um, about five miles from that place about two years ago, and uh, it, it was awesome. It was one of those where they're like, hey, we'll pay you to come out here. I'm like, I would go out there for free, so <laughs> thank you. But no, it, it was great. It's a beautiful country out there. It's why I love Colorado. A little jealous of all of you that live out there in Colorado. I, I know there's that joke running that's President Trump said that they're going to build a wall around Colorado, and Colorado people were like, thank you. That'd be great. <laughs> but uh, no, again, we're, we're joined by, by uh, Jeff from Mile High Report and very, very excited to, to have you on again here, man. How's your week been? Uh, it's been good in everything except Bronco related news. So other than that, it's been nothing to complain about. But this weekend was a little, little sad, as most weekends have been this football season. So it's kind of become a thing we're getting used to, I guess. Yeah, hopefully not too many more seasons like this, but unfortunately it is where the Broncos are, and we'll just have to see what we can do moving forward. And there's been a lot of news today, so we're going to get into a lot of that here today. But I want to make sure you can find us on Twitter. You can find me at Carl Dumbler, MHH. Of course, Nick at Nick Kindle, MHH. And, and Jeff at Jeffrey Esri, at that last name spelled E-S-S-A-R-Y, just so everybody knows. Make sure you follow him. Great, great follow. Love all of your content, man. And you can also follow the podcast Twitter account at BTB Football Pod. And make sure you subscribe to our show and leave us a rating as we value your input. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and even that of YouTube. Also, make sure you head on over to MileHighHuddle.com, a new affiliate of the Maven Coalition and Sports Illustrated. And also know that this podcast is powered by Overtime Media. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. 
Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Jeff, we... I guess, is it reaching that point where you just have to laugh to keep from crying with how this season has gone? Yeah, I think it reached that point probably about a year and a half ago. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably true. But especially this year. I mean, just the way that they're finding ways to lose games. Yeah, it's been, um, I mean, you know, we saw the Jacksonville game. We were thinking it's deja vu all over again from the Chicago game. And then this is just deja vu again from that. And so, yeah, it's just getting to the point. And, you know, John Elway talked about it uh, um, a week or two ago. He said, you know, you get in the game and things start to go south and you just think, here we go again, you know. And that's kind of where we're at. That we are. And, I mean, to add, I guess, add on to the pile, of course, then Joe Flacco may be done for the season not quite sure exactly with a herniated disc in his neck and and so now it's the brandon allen show in denver (laughs) yeah yeah and and i'm not sure that that's such a bad thing obviously you know um feel for joe and his injury and wouldn't wish you know injury on anyone for any reason but him taking a seat um, because of injury is probably the best thing that could happen given some of his comments and the way that, you know, he had been playing and the offense has been playing at a hole. It kind of gives a, an opportunity for a bit of a clean slate and for someone to come in. Obviously you would hope that would be, you know, Drew Locke, but based on his injury and missing practice time, most of the year kind of, I think, you know, delays his development a little bit or his potential to see the field. Um, so yeah, and Brandon Allen and I'm, so I currently live in, um, Northwest Arkansas, um, on the campus of the university of Arkansas. And so, um, familiar with Brandon Allen have seen him in person, have watched his games. Um, and so I think he's a good scheme fit. Um, you know, I, I know Daniel Jeremiah was a really big fan of him actually coming out of the draft and, uh, we'll see what happens on Sunday. I think I saw somebody post that uh, Lance Zerloin's uh, comparison was Case Keenum. Oh, no. <laughs> so, actually, well, then though. There's, then there's Twitter things going around saying he looks like Paxton Lynch. So, it's just, it's just all full <laughs> circle for the Broncos. Oh, great. No, I, I will say, though, I think Case Keenum would be a better fit for the system that they're running this year than they were last year. So just because he has that little bit of athleticism, he does better outside the pocket. And it sounds just from what I've read, I haven't watched a whole lot of Brandon Allen, I'll be honest, but they did a lot of the same kind of play action bootleg, all those kind of things when he was there in Arkansas, from what I understand. So it's not going to be anything completely new. He also did that when he was with the Rams. So he, he knows the system at least. And 
it's not going to be all on his shoulders to go out there and win games. I mean, you can't do that, obviously, to a, to a young player that's never had a start. But I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out, especially at the quarterback position. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. But I want to get to our, our stock report for this week, stock up, stock down. And, and again, as always, whether the Broncos win or lose, there's always going to be good and bad in every game. There's never going to be a perfect game. There's never going to be a game where everybody absolutely failed on the field and off the field. And so I'm going to start with my first guy here. And I got to give it to Von Miller. I love, you look at a lot of what's going on around the league with all these, I don't know, star players that when they're on losing teams pretty much start demanding trades. And and I really love yeah, Von. It feels like it's been a big trend, even more so this year than than others. You know, right? Well, there. I mean, and I can understand a little bit from the players' perspective. If you're not going to be committed to me, it's hard for me to be committed to you. You know, if you can yep. cut me at any moment just because I breathed on you wrong, you know, it's hard for me to want to be that that loyal guy. But Von Miller is that guy, and I mean, Broncos country loves him. And, and he loves Broncos country. So it's, it's a great fit. And, and I love that he's sticking through through these difficult times. And I love that there's just really no quit in this guy. Uh, I mean, everybody's been complaining about his stats not being there. And I, I watch the games and sit there and say, man, teams are pretty much saying anybody but Von Miller beat us. I mean, he's getting blocked by two or three guys on a lot of plays, and he's still making plays every once in a while. And so this game, they actually left him a little bit one-on-one opportunities and ended up with one-and-a-half sacks, three-and-a-half tackles for loss, two quarterback hits, and, I mean, just was all over the field. Unfortunately, missed that last sack. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was, he'll be, he will be kicking himself for that one for a long time, I imagine. He, he was so close. Yeah, he, he doesn't miss many of those. I mean, that was a perfect setup, and Brissett just made a move. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what it takes sometimes, and it's just that's how close games are. He gets that sack, that game's over. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the, you know, and not to, I don't want to derail it too much into this. We'll, we'll probably get into this later. But, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the play calling and going too conservative. And, you know, they, they should have gone for the win. And to me, that, that is going for the win when you, you know, you have a red hot defense who's shut down the Colts pretty much throughout most of the game and you hand it back over to them on the 10 yard line. And if you would have said, hey, you know, you can, you can have the Colts waste their time out and put it in the hands of Von Miller and have him zeroed in on the quarterback, bearing down for the game-ending sack. Like you would take that ten times out of ten, you know, and nine times out of the ten, out of ten, he makes that play. And so, if he makes that play, we're talking about something completely different this week, as opposed to you know conservative play calling or what went wrong with the with the game. We'd still be talking about the offense inability to perform because they still played terribly, but. It would have been a completely different outcome, um, like it said, just just slipped out of Von Miller's fingers. Right. Well, and you look at those three close losses; all three have had very controversial things happen. I mean, yeah. the the two penalties—one on Chubb, one on Miller—that the NFL afterwards said, "Yeah, that shouldn't have been called." That got the teams into field goal range, and so really, the defense should have had all three of these stops. It's just certain things just didn't quite go their way, and 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 I always think of. That 2015 season for the Broncos, they had so many things go their way. <laughs> and, and I mean, it was a great team, great defense. I'm not trying to take anything away from them, but there were a lot of things that went their way. And, and as the, the laws of 
equalizers or ever whatever you want to call it things kind of equal out in the NFL and this is yeah, kind of we the were, season where everything just seems to be going completely against the Broncos yeah and we were talking about it at um, the mile high report chat today it's kind of karma coming back from the probably the Tebow days as well some of the things that bounced specifically Denver's way and so you know they've got two years worth of um, luck, bad luck or good luck to, to pay back and they've certainly been doing their fair share this year of paying it back for sure and so I mean I guess you can look at it that way is that this team at least is competitive that they are playing like a top five defense most of the time Yep. And and that's even with losing maybe their I would say second best player on the team, Bradley Chubb, for the season pretty early on. Your your secondary's been ravaged by injuries. It, it's uh to to be where they are on defense, I mean that that should be at least a, a little bit of a, a a blessing and so I guess that that just kind of tails into to your guy. Who's your first stock up guy? Yeah, uh, um Justin Simmons is my guy and he's been to me just impressive all season um and and showed up again in a big way in this game um you know there was that big i think it was a third down you know he was blanketing the um the receiver there and knocked the ball away but it's not even just the splashy plays like that but he's just he's in the right position he's doing his job he's making the guys around him better and with him and Kareem Jackson back there at the safety positions, I, I mean, it's one of the big reasons that Denver's been able to succeed on defense, you know, being so thin at the corner position. Um, he fits into what Fangio wants to do. He's a smart guy. He's a, you know, great team player. And so I think Denver locks him up hopefully this year um, before the off season as he's in, you know, he's in his final year of his contract. And so hopefully we see him get locked up sooner rather than later um, and he remains a Bronco for several more years. So I I asked Nick this maybe last week, I guess, when we were doing this. Uh, how much would you be willing to pay him? Are, are you paying him like a top five safety in the league? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's his athleticism numbers are off the charts, and so he's got the – just you know the the raw talent pedigree that you would want in a guy like that he's not limited in that way um and he's continuing to grow and get better um i mean i think maybe a year or two ago i wouldn't have said that i've I've always loved his potential and he's been one of my favorite broncos ever since he became a bronco um but really plugging him into fangio's system you see what you know eddie jackson did under vic fangio and i think he can be, be that kind of player and i think you pay him accordingly yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I don't think he's quite at the top five safety spot yet, but he, he's on his way. And just the way the NFL works with how much you have to pay players, it's not that you – they're always looking for that next big contract. And, and I think he's definitely there, and the Broncos have the cap space, and, and you don't want to create another hole that you have to fill for sure. And I, I don't know. He, he's just playing lights out. He's a perfect fit in this system. Love his game, love what he's doing for the Broncos, and I definitely want to see him here long, long term. And uh, so now, going to the other side, we actually both have the same guy here, and uh, and it's I guess fitting, Joe Flacco. And I hate to I guess rub salt into the wound that's already there for Flacco. I mean, bad game, injury. Possibly is done with the Broncos already after eight games. Uh, I saw somebody the other day that, or I guess today, that said, uh, is he going to get Wally pipped? 
And, yeah. you know, I, I went to a costume contest or not a costume contest to a, uh, a murder mystery. That's what it was. And they asked us to pick names for ourselves that were not our own. And I put Wally Pip and not a single person in the room knew who that was. <laughs> I'm like, OK, nobody here is a sports fan. So but no, I mean, it's he has he's struggled all year. And you can say Scangarillo and his offense are not doing great to help him out, which is is somewhat true. There are times where the offense has not been great, that they've made some questionable play calls. But there's also been a lot of times where Joe Flacco has absolutely missed wide open receivers. I mean, there's guys that don't have anybody within three to five yards, easy throws in the NFL, and Flacco is just not seeing them. Now, some of that I do think is the offensive line has gotten him beat up a little bit. And so his eyes are dropping a lot quicker. His clock is running a lot quicker. But there was a a big third down early in the game. And he took off pretty quick right after he got the snap, just ran out of the pocket. And there's a receiver running wide open to the left. And if he would have just stayed in the pocket, it would have been an easy first down. But I don't know what's going on, if he's just afraid, what, what it is, but... He's just not he, – he's obviously not got it. I mean, he's not the future of the Broncos by any means, but he is definitely not helping this offense at all this year. Yeah, and, and um, to tag on to that, you know, he was, he was the guy I put that, you know, immediately came to my mind as well. And, and I've been a guy who's been, you know, somewhat um, defending Flacco over the last, you know, several games. Um saying, you know, it's not all on him, it's not all his fault. And I think that some of that is still true, um, to your point. And obviously the tackle situation has not put him in good positions. And, you know, you get, anytime you get sacked eight times, like he did against Kansas City, your clock starts to speed up in your head. Um, but, you know, I think it's his play combined with the comments afterwards that really, um, you know, soured soured his stock in my mind um specifically you know especially when he's talking about being aggressive and it's it's the kind of stuff that you're talking about carl is you know the time to call for aggression and the time to be aggressive would have been all those other third downs you had an opportunity to convert on and you know um we can debate the play call all day, but if the offense is converting 15% over the last, you know, three weeks prior to this week on third downs, that's an issue. And um, I tweeted that out earlier today, Joe Flacco, you know, looking at some next gen stats, Joe Flacco is currently 34th in the NFL. So there's, you know, 32 teams and uh, 34th among quarterbacks in the NFL um, in average intended air yards. And so he's, you know, to your point, he's dumping it off uh, too early, and he was the guy that you know we brought in to try to stretch the field because of his arm and his ability to kind of you know throw it in there in tight windows. And he's currently 36th in the NFL in his aggressiveness index. It's a next gen stat um, that they have of percentage of tight window throws, essentially of guys w- where there's a defender within a yard of them. Um, He's 36 in the NFL in those attempted throws, so he's not he's not being aggressive when he has the opportunity to anyway. Or you know you could argue that the line's not giving him, him time, and that's um, fair as well. And then he's 36 in the NFL in air yards to the sticks, and so to me it just didn't it didn't really sit well. I know he's probably frustrated, and you know maybe you've been frustrated at the offensive coaches specifically about some of those play calls. But can you blame them when you have a quarterback who? 
isn't willing to take those tight window throws or isn't being aggressive is last in the NFL, dead last in air yards to the sticks, constantly checking it down. You have a terrible offensive line. You just gave up eight sacks. I'd probably be a little bit conservative too, especially when your defense is playing as well as they were. And so, you know, I've said before, like no play call looks good on the on the back end if you're measuring the result. You know, no bad no bad play looks like a good play call. Every every play looks like a bad one when the result doesn't happen. Um, but I think it's a little bit, you know, too much to just pin it all on the play calling when Flacco for Flacco to do that you know to me it just didn't it didn't sit well with me at all and especially to do it you know in public and after after a press conference at a press conference after the loss it just didn't sit well with me and so um I could go on for longer about him but I'll, I'll stop it right <laughs> yeah there. no you're, you're right needless I, to say his stock is down for me to this week <laughs> yeah and, and we'll talk about that here in just a little bit of whether Flacco's done in Denver or not that, that'll be a, a big question as the season progresses but, uh, I mean, we won't fully know that answer, but we can take a little bit of a guess. But let's get back to a little bit of the positive side of things here. And uh, it's amazing to see, I guess, some of the the differences in, I mean, the, the, this Broncos defense is just playing lights out. Even even that Chiefs game, that defense kept them into it until that the very end of the game. I mean, the, they were the one reason the Broncos were halfway still standing a chance at some point but um, of course then the offense gives up a touchdown on the sack fumble all those kind of things but again one of those guys that has just really benefited from Fangio coming in and just knowing how to play players to their strengths Alexander Johnson and I I just I love the way the Broncos are using him his weakness is he's not always the greatest at dropping back in coverage and, and he's actually doing decent in coverage they're not asking him to, to go 30 yards down the field with a tight end, but uh, he's doing okay there. But his, his strength is coming downhill. Uh, he's a big guy. He can move for the most part for, for his size, and, and he is strong. I, I, there's a couple times that he that Indy offensive line is actually pretty darn good, and he made them look pretty pretty weak. And so bringing him on blitzes to, to bring about pressure – did a great job of doing that, coming downhill, helping in the run game. Early in the game, I did see a couple times where he guessed on the hole wrong. And and he tried to to guess where the run play was going, ended up wrong, left a huge hole. So he's still got to work on some of those things. But I I guess I, I always grade these things on a curve. If he is a 10-year veteran in the NFL, then I'm sitting there saying, hey, man, you got to fix that. But his first year of really playing and, and getting a chance, I'm definitely – saying, hey, this guy, yeah, he's going to have a couple mistakes throughout the game. But if he's going out there and making impact plays, that's what you want to see from from a guy in his first year. And, I, I mean, the, the guy, just the, the sky is, is the ceiling. I, I don't know where he's going to end up going for the Broncos. But, uh, again, I just love the way that they're using him. He, they're playing him to his strengths. And he is just making play after play. Every week, there's at least two or three plays that really stand out that, that just sit there and say, okay, this guy belongs in this league. I, I know a lot of people point to that horse collar penalty there at the end of the game. But again, I'm not going to let one play destroy an evaluation of a player. And and even there, it, when you watch it in slow-mo, it's not like he actually grabs a hold of the horse collar and yanks the guy down. It's more his hand is just right there as he's making the play. It just so happened to be in a wrong place at the wrong time kind of thing. 
And and so again, I'm not going to blame him too much on that. It it was a bad penalty at a bad time, but beyond that, played a pretty darn good game out there. Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, I think I mean, we've talked about him a lot over the last couple weeks, just as you know, a, kind of a fan base and the you know writer community and stuff. But I don't know that that you can talk about him enough um, about the the impact that he's had on this defense and really just how exciting it is. And and I mean, I've we want to give away the in, towards the end of the show on some of the questions you've got here, but I mean, he, he's you know my big surprise of the season, and he's you know if nothing else comes out of this season, but Alexander Johnson emerging and really filling that inside linebacker position, along with the coaches growing and being able to you know fit into their system and stuff. Um, I think you know obviously you don't want to see the team have a record like they're doing currently, but I think there's not much more that you could ask for in terms of player development than him just kind of coming out of nowhere and, and showing up um, and really filling a hole that Denver has had for a long time. You know, I mean, how many years do we go into the draft saying, Oh, we, we got to draft an inside linebacker. And, you know, uh, for whatever reason, one way or another, we, we don't. And, you know, I, I thought this would have potentially quieted some of the, the folks that are hating on Noah Fant saying we should have drafted Devin Bush, but it, it hasn't really done that that much. Um, but yeah, Alexander Johnson looks like the real deal, and looks like he could really be a um, you know a long term guy. I agree with you for Denver at that inside linebacker spot. All right, so who's your second stock up person? I really was impressed with Derek Wolf, um, and you know we, we we talk about him as a a veteran guy, and his name's been floated around really for the last year or two when we talk about you know the rebuild and offloading veterans and things like that but you know he's still 29 years old and he's still playing at a really high level um and so i'm not sure and i think i mentioned this last week i forget if it was on here that i, that I talked about it when we were chatting last week but um i don't think he's a guy that you let go even after this season i'd, I'd extend him for another couple years um because the chemistry that he has with von miller the ability that he brings in the pass rush game um I've been really impressed with him. He had two sacks against the Colts. He had his first forced fumble of his career. And he's just a guy that you want in the locker room. He's tough. He's got a, you know, a grinders mentality. And like I said, the chemistry and leadership that he has with Vaughn Miller, I think is invaluable, especially on that defensive line. And for a team who's going to be turning over a lot of the defensive line coming up this next year, I think, you know, Wolf's a guy that you hang on to, um, and bring him back for another couple of years. I've really been impressed with his play this season. The the nice thing with Wolf this year that I think is really helping to to revamp him a little bit is the Broncos actually have some depth on the defensive line this year. Yeah. The, the fact that Adam Gotsis isn't even getting suited up this since what week five, I think it was that he got benched was week five. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I mean Wolf right now playing right around sixty to seventy percent of the snaps. Which, I mean, it's still high, but it's not like a lot of the, the past years where he's really been asked to pretty much live on the field. And I think that really diminishes his ability to be explosive and aggressive. And where this year you got rookie Draymond Jones coming in for about 30% of the snaps. You got Shelby Harris for about half. Demarcus Walker. Uh, of course, uh, Mike Purcell also getting in there on, on quite a few snaps. And so you, you got a nice rotation that's going on to keep these guys 
healthy and to keep them energized and, and throughout the game. And and Wolf is really benefiting, like you said. I mean, he's just explosive. He's looking like that guy that maybe, oh, well, I guess the 2015 season where he goes out there and has, what, like eight sacks that season mm-hmm. and was just flying all over the field. And so he, he definitely looks like he's found the fountain of youth a little bit. And I, I wouldn't mind signing him. I know he wants to stay a Bronco from everything that I've been told that he loves Denver doesn't really want to play for anybody else. His family loves Denver, so doesn't want to really move them. And I, I think we had Benjamin Albright on here not too long ago, and uh, and he commented how it's pretty much either retirement or signed with the Broncos. And so I'm hoping it is signed with the Broncos because I don't think it'll be that crazy of a deal. I, I don't think he's going to be asking for for the moon and back. And and so uh, I mean, definitely should be a lifelong Bronco. And it goes beyond just what he's doing on the field, too. I mean, he's that guy that keeps people accountable, that doesn't let players slack off. I remember there's a time where he said uh, there's some young guys that were walking, and he said he just went up there and just started chewing them out for not jogging. And I'm like, that's what the Broncos need. So uh, I love, I would love for Wolf to stay with the Broncos for sure. But yeah, uh, and you and oh, you ahead. look at you look at the you know the comments Von Miller made after Emmanuel Sanders left and, um, you know, Vaughn kind of showing that leadership in the locker room of, Hey, we want guys that want to be here. We want guys that want to be Broncos and want to turn this around for us. And that's, I mean, I've seen nothing but that from Derek Wolf. He's kind of the epitome of that. He wants to be a Bronco. He wants to be here and wants to turn this thing around. And so, um, yeah, totally agree. All right. Well, let's get back to the, the stock down, unfortunately, but, uh, I'll, I'll go Garrett Bowles here. Just another rough game for him. And uh, unfortunately, I mean, Juwan James, when he was in there, things were looking so good. And, of course, he gets hurt again. But uh, there there was kind of that thought of, okay, if James can secure this right tackle spot, then there could really be that true battle at the left tackle spot between him and Wilkinson. And neither of them are playing that great. But uh, Garrett Bowles just really got got bullied in this one. Uh, a couple times just really getting driven right back into Flacco. And and just, I don't know. I, I, there, there's so many people who keep still wanting to give this guy chances, and he's just not it. He yeah. has he has like a three or four game stretch every season where it looks like, oh gosh, this guy's turning things around, and then he goes right back to his old habits. And uh, I I just I don't know what the answer is, but it, it's not Garrett Bowles. Yeah, totally agree. And my stock down is kind of following along that same line it's just the offensive tackles in general um i really should specify the the ones that started the majority of the game wilkinson and and bowls and and to me they've been you know in problem number one on the offense you know we can you can go down the the list of who bears responsibility for the poor offense and lay some of it at you know scangarello and flacco but i think that the tackles have to um, really own the bulk of it, especially what we saw from them against Kansas City and in this game here. And it's part of the reason Joe Flacco's skittish in the pocket. And it's you know a big part of the reason that Rich Scangarello, it doesn't really seem like he has the whole um, offensive playbook at his disposal because you really can't expect to protect this as long as you need to with these guys. And you've got to kind of scheme help around them. And when you've got two of them that are struggling on on either side you know Elijah Wilkinson has really struggled at the right tackle spot as well and so it's just been a consistent problem in Denver for the last several years and and I think that's the thing is you know 
Um, everyone wants to lay the blame at the quarterback and the offensive coaches, which is, you know, fair. But we've cycled through quarterbacks and we've cycled through offensive coaches, but the constant has remained that Garrett Bowles can't play. And Elijah Wilkinson, you know, or that right tackle spot, you know, Elijah Wilkinson is it, is it this year, but that right tackle spot has just been a turnstile as well. And so um, it's just been a struggle that, you know, Denver's got to get that fixed. And I think that's the, to me, that's the biggest glaring hole on the offense right now. Well, at least it's nice that the upcoming draft looks like looks like a very good tackle class. So the Broncos should be able to do something there. But uh, you're right. And it, I guess I asked Nick this last week. The other big weakness so far on the offensive line has been Leary. I don't know if he's banged up, hurt, whatever's going on. But I guess let's say James is – they said this injury is not as bad as last time. So he should be back much sooner. Would you be willing to move Wilkinson to that right guard spot? Because is that maybe his better fit than right tackle? Yeah, I think so. If James comes back, I think for sure you either try Wilkinson out at left tackle, um, if nothing else, to send Bowles a message, or you know, it, just try something different. Even though I don't, I don't know that Wilkinson at left tackle is going to be much better than <laughs> Garrett is currently. But I think you shift him over because that's where he did see the most success, and just let him be that right guard slash swing tackle. Um, you know, because he can be a pinch starter. But yet, I don't think you want to you know keep him there at the right tackle position. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think Denver moves away from Leary after this year. And you know, Wilkinson is a guy that could potentially step up into that. And I'll throw another name out there. And we're not, we're, I know we're not talking necessarily about future and offensive line, but um, Coleccio Simile has, you know, he was released by the Jets and there was, you know, all that injury settlement stuff with them. But if he's able to, you know, go through shoulder surgery and recover from that and he's healthy and is able to rest and come back healthy, you know, he was, he was one of the top guards in football not you know 18 months ago um and i know offensive line guys you know if they struggle with injuries it's hard to kind of get back onto that and we're seeing that with leary but you know simile is a guy who's had multiple years of stellar play with the raiders and, and he's a guy a name to watch that i like um potentially for that right guard spot yeah i do wonder if broncos country would have a little bit of Leeriness just because of, of bringing in guys that have injury histories and then watching them continue to get hurt. I mean, and, and this year has been worse than, than most years. I mean, you, you pay James a bunch of money. Obviously, he's been in for what? I think 41 snaps so far this year. And so you see that. Then, of course, you got Callahan, who hasn't taken a snap yet for the Broncos. So th- there's a little bit of that. I, I agree with you. It, d- it would depend on the contract. But if that guy is healthy... It's going to be hard to find anybody in the draft or free agency that's going to be better than him. I mean, like I said, he's just a tank out there. He would definitely secure that that middle of the field for the Broncos if if he's healthy. I mean, that, that's yeah. always going to be the big question. But uh, I, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see how they go about trying to fix this offensive line during the offseason. But I, I, I do think Denver would be a team that he would be interested in coming to just because he got Munchak. I think that is a great selling point to get offensive linemen to come to Denver of, hey, look what he's done with all these other guys. And But uh, I don't know. It, it, I just hope James gets back sooner than later for this offensive tackle group just for this season in case 
Locke does get a chance to play some games. I'd like to have him at least have a little bit of time to throw a football. But, uh, yeah. all right, let's go to our, our final stock up here. And I'm going to go with this guy just because this might be the very last time he has a chance to make this this report. And I hope that's not true. But Chris Harris Jr. And, and it is very frustrating to me that possibly the, the last memory of him in Denver will be that T.Y. Hilton play when it was just a scramble drill. And, of course, I mean, he shut that guy down pretty much the entire game and, and has been doing that week in, week out, especially over the last few weeks, just shutting down a team's number one. And <clears throat> I don't know. I, I really I, – Chris Harris has always been one of my favorites, partly because he went to, to KU, and that school is just right down the road from where I went to college. And that undrafted rookie guy just coming in, playing his heart out, taking a uh, hometown discount to stay with the Broncos, all those things adding up. How could he not be a fan favorite? But uh, I don't know. I I hope that that's not the last memory is that T.Y. Hilton play. But beyond that, again, just played his heart out, played a great game, and just been a a great Bronco. And so I just had to make sure to get him on this report because he deserves all the respect for what he's done for Denver. Yeah, absolutely. And he, you know, I mean, I know his name keeps popping up in in trade talks, but he's really been impressed. He's been impressive to me just throughout this season, too, of how he's handled a lot of that because he's constantly being asked about it. And, you know, he's um, continues to talk about the good relationship that he has with Vic Fangio and and Ed Donatel. And um, by all, you know, signs is really just putting his head down and and continuing to work. And and it's just epitomized his entire career. And and to your point on the T.Y. Hilton play, you know, I, I would hope Denver fans don't latch onto that because to me, it's not necessarily even his fault. You know, you look at, it's just one of those deals where it's backyard football and, you know, you can't be expected to cover a guy for, you know, five seconds, um, across field, especially one as elusive and, and speedy as T Y Hilton. I mean, he did catch him a couple times, um, and burned him a little bit. Um, uh, but to your point, I think Chris Harris is still one of the top corners out there and, and definitely one of the top Broncos in recent memory. All right, well, who's your final guy here? And we've talked about him a little bit already when we were talking about offensive tackles, but to me it's Juwan James. I mean, I know he didn't get the snaps that we hoped he would, um, and it's really a shame because he looked really good when he when he came in, and it felt like for those first you know those first couple offensive series when he was in there, it just the offense felt better. Um, you know, he he was getting out there in the run game and opened a couple big holes. Um, at the second level, I remember one specifically where he you know, was looking for work and found a linebacker at the second level to, to kind of spring a, a hole open there. But then he looked solid in pass protection as well. And you know, that's what we've just talked about. If he's able to stay healthy or get back healthy and um, continue to play at the level that you know we've seen from him even in limited snaps, it, it really just is a game changer for this Broncos offense. And I said that before the Broncos – you know, took the field on against the Colts on Sunday. And, you know, it's just a shame that he wasn't maybe fully recovered or re- kind of re-injured that um, leg because it really could be the, the missing piece for this, you know, offense this off season or this season, or if nothing else gives you an opportunity to actually have a, you know, true evaluation of Drew Locke and, you know, you don't want to throw them out there with the tackle situation they have currently, even though I think they should at some point. 
Um, but yeah, I think he's a he's a big piece of it and looked really well, really good to me on um, Sunday before he got hurt. For sure. I mean, I can't remember who said it, but some offensive line guru was talking about it. And in the NFL, you need three good offensive linemen. If you can have three, you can make it work. And right now, I'd say the Broncos have one and a half, maybe. <laughs> if that, I mean, I think obviously you got Reisner, who's been pretty darn good this year. He's still had his rookie moments, but he's been pretty darn good. So he's one. McGovern has had some decent moments. Leary has been up and down. And, of course, Bowles and, and Wilkinson have been more down than up. So, uh, yeah, about one and a half. If you get James in there, I'd say you got two and a half. So you're, you're getting closer, and you're, you're, you're definitely not wanting to have to fix both offensive tackle positions next year and, and hoping that he can show that he can be that guy for us next year. But uh, I don't know. It's frustrating to see that – like I said, the offense finally looked like it was clicking a little bit. Looked like Flacco had a little bit more confidence that his offensive line was going to hold up. And then he goes down, and the whole offense just really sputters the rest of the game. So just this kind of shows just how much one player can make a difference and just especially the confidence of every player around them. Yep, absolutely. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break, and then I've got a little game, I guess, or a little questionnaire for – for Jeff here that I'd just like to see some of his thoughts as we move forward throughout the season, because there's still plenty to, I I know everybody talks about how it seems like the season is lost, but I I always think of the, of an NFL season as a moving target that of course your, your first target is winning the Super Bowl. Well, when it doesn't look like that, then all of a sudden you got to start moving the target of what does a successful season look like? Are there some things that the team can take to have a better chance for the next season? So we're going to talk about that. So don't leave. Uh, We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. The Broncos might be sitting at two and six, but there's still half of a season of football left to be played. That's a lot of games left on the horizon, you guys. There's also hockey going, you got basketball, a little bit of baseball left, and more. Because October is the only month of the year where all four major sports are going on at the same time. So what better to get into the game than by heading over to mybookie.ag? And that just scratches the surface. We have teamed up with MyBookie this October to give you this great offer. Sign up at mybookie.ag and use promo code OVERTIME and they will match your first deposit. Again, promo code OVERTIME and new users get their first deposit doubled. MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. Broncos country, your team might be sitting at 2-6 and six right now, but there is so much football left to be played. And next Sunday, the Broncos are back home in Denver to take on the Cleveland Browns. Make sure you have your seat ready for the game with Vivid Seats. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for the events you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice, all in the Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back. Vivid Seats Rewards. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater shows and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and join the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program today. And when it's time to buy, new users, make sure you enter the promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. 
All right, and we are back here on Building the Broncos. I have a, a special guest, of course, on the show here, and Jeff from uh, Mile High Report. And very excited again just to have you on here. As Nick did get himself married off, he, she did say, I do. She did not take <laughs> off running on him. So, it has been confirmed. It has. There, there is picture evidence of this happening. So very happy for him. And, uh, of course, everybody out there, go go tell him congratulations. But uh, so... With his absence also means great things for the show and Jeff being able to come on here and join us to talk a little bit of Bronco football. So we're going to play a little fill in the blank and we're going to start with this first question with with Flacco's injury, the Broncos should do blank at the quarterback position the rest of the year. They should ride the youth wave and I mean, we're obviously going to get to a chance to take a peek at Brandon Allen for at least this week um, and potentially maybe the week after and then hopefully see Locke after the bye and so I think Denver should just embrace that and try to get as much evaluation as they can out of the QB position so there's been a lot of the the media people that have suggested that Brandon Allen will get three starts that they still will not play Locke until that Chargers game at home are you in agreement with that or are you just saying no let's just get this guy out here let's see what he can do yeah i mean i think this is what we talked about too of a lot of it depends on potentially if juan james is healthy and where the offense is at in a week or two um i mean i don't know that a game or two is really going to make or break your evaluation of him um you know honestly i don't know when I'll save that thought before because we're going to that next question after this. Um, how much evaluation you can actually get out of him throughout this season. Um, but I don't think a game or two is really going to make a big difference, especially going on the road and you know throwing him into a hostile environment, potentially against a good defense with the tackle situation we have right now. You know, probably isn't the best thing for him. And so, I mean, I think if you wait him, a, wait a game or two, and, and let him practice some more, and let him, you know, get his feet under him at the bye, and and all of that. To me, that's not a bad thing if you actually do commit to it and plan to start him. You know, I think you can't just keep kicking it down the road um, and then never give him a chance to to come in. But I think delaying it a game or two isn't going to hurt anything. Right, I, I'm with you. Like you said, th- those couple games of evaluation is not going to be all that big of a deal i mean you're going to get your questions answered in four or five games of what you think of this guy moving forward so that brings up question number two then drew Locke has to show blank for the broncos to feel good about him heading into next season i really struggle with this one because i'm not sure exactly how to classify feel good about him because i don't know that i mean unless he just absolutely lights the world on fire i I don't know that you can go in and even if he does that, you know, I don't know that you can go into next season feeling good enough about him to not look at the quarterback position. Uh, And I think if Denver does that, you know, they'll be making a big mistake because then you've kind of hitched your wagon to a guy that you haven't seen a lot of, um, even if you do good things from him. So that's not a knock on Drew Locke at all. I think you still evaluate him and put him in there and see what you have having him and you know continue to let him grow and play but i don't know that there's anything specific that he can do that would you know make you throw all your chips into his basket um for the future um and that's just that's just kind of where i'm at 
right now. I could be wrong. You know, he may he, he could come out and light the world on fire for four games or something like that, and then I may change my mind. But I don't think there's anything currently that he could do right now that really keeps you from still looking at the quarterback position in 2020. So I guess let's let's reverse that then. Is there anything that he would do that would show you that there's no way I'm not going quarterback next season, say first round? I don't think so. Um, and I think that's probably what Denver's, you know, maybe a, a little bit cautious about. And, you know, the I would caution the fan base as well to if Locke finally does get his start, it's probably going to look ugly. And I, I think if you set your expectations low, there's nothing that he can – to me, there's not really anything that he can do in those four games to tell you immediately that he is or isn't the guy. Um, specifically that he isn't the guy, especially with just the amount of um, practice time that he's had this year and the injury and all the swirling stuff going on on the offense anyway right now. You know, if he comes out and struggles for four weeks, I don't think it really says anything about his future or his potential on the negative side. I don't think he can hurt himself, which probably is a good thing. I think he can just go out and just play football, you know, and there's not any pressure because – you know, you've already lost the season. There's nothing that he can do in four games to really make the front office say, no, we don't want to continue to try to develop you. You know, you can't really tell that much about a guy in four games. If he's struggling, you would expect him to struggle. And so, um, no, I, I think you temper your expectations and kind of just set a bar and say, hey, we're just going to go out there and see what happens and not make any snap judgments about him until we get a full off season under his belt in 2020 and really get him in there. I keep trying to tell people, to me, what he does on the field is yeah. is just a part of the evaluation process with him. Yeah, great point. I mean, there's so much happening behind the scenes. I, I, I point to Paxton Lynch as a great example. I mean, it was the behind-the-scenes stuff that was that was really hindering his chances of becoming a true starter in the NFL. His inability to want to be in the building, to go through film, to actually study the playbook. When I mean, when they have to limit the playbook to about 10 plays for a game because their starter goes down in Simeon and they know they have to play Lynch, that's not a great sign. And, and so for, for Drew Locke, so much more can go into how his teammates react to him, how he does in the film room of just showing that he is competent enough to understand what he's seeing. I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks out there that are very athletic that don't know what's going on in front of them. And as much as, I mean, Brett Favre was always fun to watch, but I'm not sure that he would make it in today's NFL very well. And and so, I mean, yeah, there's I, things that he still can do that are, are great and all that, but, but just in today's NFL where you don't want to turn the football over because that's a huge indicator of, a, of whether a team wins or loses. And just his... Un- his lack of understanding of sometimes what was going on in the field when he's like, I don't know what a nickelback is. And, <laughs> you know, those kind of things. That, that wouldn't fly in today's NFL. And, and I know that wasn't always that big of a deal. But, but again, just Drew Locke, the things that he's doing behind the scenes to show this team that he can be that leader in the locker room, that, that he can do things that will make other players want to follow him. I think that's going to be a bigger indicator of what they do for next season than a lot of what he shows on the field. Yeah, absolutely, and especially given the current offensive situation as well. I think, you know, Locke's um, best bet is to come out and, you know, be poised and, you know, be a professional 
for those four games more so than it is come out and light the world on fire with stats. So I I completely agree with you. Right. All right. Next question. Just this is kind of from the the Flacco comments and, and a few other things that have happened. Broncos should make blank changes to their coaching staff after this season. Zero. I put it in big capital letters <laughs> <laughs> and that may get some flack, you know, um, for folks. And I know there's a lot of folks that potentially want to move on from Rich Scangarello or, you know, he, I mean, there's even those out there that are saying Fangio looks like he's in over his head. But I think you've got to get off the turnstile or the Ferris wheel of, you know, coaching the carousel. That's the one I'm looking for. That's the word that <laughs> so you've got to get off the coaching carousel at some point, you know, and, um, people keep talking about hitting the rebuild button and we finally just got to blow it up and everything. And it's like, we did that at the beginning of the season. We brought in an entire new coaching staff. You've been stocking with new young players for the last two years. Let them coach, give them a little bit of time. Um, in order to make it happen, if we gave Vance Joseph two years, and I know a lot of people said, you know, we shouldn't have done that, and I can certainly see the argument there. But if you gave Vance Joseph two years, you've got to give this staff at least a year and some change to, um, you know, continue to grow and develop. And, and especially on the Scangarello side, you know, he's a new offensive coordinator. And I've said before, there's there's two big pieces of being an offensive coordinator. Um, one is designing the offense and designing the plays and to me rich scangarello has looked really good at that i've been really impressed i've broken down film on a couple different posts now for my high report looking at some of the ways that he's scheming guys open and getting you know Cortland sutton specifically involved in the offense but then also noah fant um and some of that hasn't translated with fant in terms of just his his ball skills and stuff but the design is still there and then the other piece of being an offensive coordinator is the play calling aspect and again to caveat you know you can you've got to judge play calling a little bit separate from the result and that, that's that's hard to do and so it's, it's hard to say this guy is a good or you know not good play caller but anytime a guy's a you know he's eight games into his NFL play calling career you're gonna have some bumps you're gonna have some um, you know some not good decisions potentially or times when you would look back and you know self scout yourself and say ah, I probably should have done this that way but that's you continue to grow and learn um, I don't think at any point you know eight games into a guy's career can you say he's not it you know we need to we need to throw it out especially given what he's had to work with from a talent perspective with the offensive tackles and then even Joe Flacco at quarterback and so as you can tell I'm pretty passionate about this I don't think you <laughs> You can't, you can't call it a rebuild at the start of this season, and we, I'm, I'm saying we did, but um, if, you're, if, if you're committed to kind of rebuilding from the ground up and all the stuff that we talked about with Vic Fangio, you've got to have st- some stability. And I think John Elway gets that, and he was talking about that all offseason, about you know, you've got to have that stability at the coaching staff position. And, you know, you look at teams that are successful, they're not churning through coaches all the time. And that doesn't doesn't mean you stick with a coach you know like a Marvin Lewis in in Cincinnati that you know is continually losing for 10 straight years or something but you've got to give these guys a little little bit of time to get their feet under them and really get their guys into their system and get their system installed before you can properly evaluate and so I think Denver has to do that and has to commit to staying with this coaching staff while they continue to you know refine the talent around them otherwise you're just going to continue to, you know, blow it up and start again and blow it up and start again. And it's just, it's never going to get going. Right. No, I'm, I'm with you there. 
I, I love, honestly, I mean, if we, we break things down just to, to the different groups, Vic Fangio and, and the defense and what they're doing, I mean, seriously, they've been playing top three over defense over the last about four weeks. And that's saying something when you got the, the Patriots obviously playing at a historical level. You got the 49ers playing at a historical level. I think DVOA has the Broncos as, as third for the last four weeks. Yeah. And and so I, I look at guys that are, are showing incredible signs in their career. Justin Simmons, like you said, two years ago, he was showing promise, but he was still making lots and lots of mistakes on the field. This year, he's looking more like a Pro Bowl safety out there. You're looking at the the secondary and how they've had to mix and match that group, and yet those guys are going out there stopping some some decent quarterbacks out there. Malik Reed, an undrafted guy, rookie, coming in, making plays. I look at, I mean, A.J. Johnson or Alexander Johnson, however you want to call him. Uh, I mean, Todd Davis is looking better with each week that goes by. Uh, I mean, Demarcus Walker. (laughs) That was the guy that most Bronco fans were saying, cut this guy, get him out of here. And, and now he's looking like one of the better defensive linemen on the team. So um, Derek Wolf looks like he's a whole new player this year. Mike Purcell, this is a guy that's what bounced around between six and seven NFL teams, and here he is making plays for the Broncos. Almost had a safety this last weekend. So uh, I'm with you that you, you got to stick around. You, you got to tough through the difficult times. And yeah, that's going to mean that sometimes you maybe hang on to coaches a little bit longer than you should. But it also means that you're not sitting there, like you said, just changing things just to change things. That doesn't always work out great. And yeah. especially, and I'll add on. Well, and I'll add on too, exactly to what you're saying on the defensive side. Um, you know, four games in, people were ready to throw out Vic Fangio's defense. I mean, if you looked at some of the comments that were coming from you know the Twitterverse and Broncos fans, especially after that. You know the Raiders game when it looked kind of rough, and they were giving up some a lot of those underneath plays, and um, the Chicago game, and you know we haven't had sacks in the first you know, three four weeks, however long it went. You know there was all this talk around what's Vic Fangio doing? Has he broken Von Miller? You know this and that and all that, and it just goes to show you, you know, four weeks later, it's it's a completely different narrative if you give the coaching staff a little bit of time. You know, and um, obviously on the defensive side. There's, there was more to work with, um, but they did have a lot of injuries. And so, you know, the job that he's been able to do to turn that around, it, you know, it just goes to show how snap judgments can be misguided and wrong sometimes. And so potentially that's not, you know, four games on the offensive side for Rich Scangarello. Maybe it's eight games, you know, and maybe the next eight games he coaches better. Or maybe it's a season of you know kind of wandering in the wilderness before he he gets it um but i just think you know the the fangio backlash early on is just a case in point of why you can't rush to judgment specifically on coaches and coaching when they're trying to install new systems and new schemes uh, you've got to you've got to play it out right it, it's always fans i mean everybody's a victim of the moment and when things aren't looking good overall, it's hard to see the good that's going on. And so right now, and I guess the other thing that I'd point out is it doesn't do great for the development of a rookie quarterback like Drew Locke to then have to have him spend the entire offseason learning a whole new playbook. And, and so yeah, that, that really stunts that kind of growth that you can have or even with the other players that they're trying to build up with all this. The, the offense is, is very young. I mean – 
top to bottom, it is one of the younger units in the NFL, especially now that Flacco is going to be out. So those are just things that for everybody to keep in mind with all this. I'm with you. Give this coaching staff another year. See what they can do. See if they can start making those those close losses into to big wins. Uh, a lot of times when you start looking at the NFL, those are the teams that you look at to make the, the biggest jump the next season, especially when they're young. Those are the teams that you see the, the biggest jump. So uh, it's definitely not a group that I'm willing to, to make a ton of changes on right now. And uh, Scangarello, I mean, I know there's going to be a lot of people picking on him this entire week and really this entire year so far. Uh, but he's young. He's still learning. And there's no better time for him to, to get better than just give him an offseason to go back and review everything from the film and, and just kind of go, okay, this is where I messed up. This is where I can get better and, and just see what he can become for sure. I mean, he's coming from a great system, a great group of coaches that he's learned under. And, and so you don't want to quite throw everything out right off the bat. Yeah, and I'll throw this out there. I don't, I don't want to belabor the point, but I'll throw this out there too. And, and this is a bit of a teaser for something I'm going to be working working on later in the week um, at Mile High Report in terms of a, a film study. But if you take a look at the 49ers offense currently um, and you look at what Scangarello is trying to do in Denver, it's very similar from a play calling perspective, even from a, con- you know, being conservative perspective, um, it, you know, the heavy personnel, even the, you know, the stuff that kind of drives Twitter fans crazy a little bit of, you know, running against stacked boxes. I mean, San Francisco is, is one of the top in the league in some of that too. Uh, it's just working with them. They are, they're effective and they're executing and they're winning. And so, and, and you know, everyone understands that Kyle Shanahan is a, a great op- offensive coach. And so I'm not saying Scangarello is that, but he's doing a lot of the same things that Kyle Shanahan's doing. And people are calling Shanahan a great coach and Scangarello a bad one because the result is bad. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not equating the two because Scangarello has a long way to go um, to get there, but you see a lot of the mirror and the decision making and people are just judging the result and you know, it's great for Shanahan and it's bad for Scangarello. And so Scangarello is bad. And so I think we've got, we've got to be able to separate the result from the process uh, when evaluating specifically Scangarello and the coaching staff there. All right, well, let's go on to our next question here. I am excited to keep watching blank player the rest of the season for evaluation. I think Alexander Johnson's one that we've talked about. You've mentioned Mike Purcell, um, Justin Simmons. Uh, I want to lock him up right now um, as we continue to watch him. And then I really want to continue to watch Hamilton and Fant and see what they can do. I haven't dug into the tape yet from this this last week, um, but want to see what Hamilton's doing now. You know, and given his extra opportunities, and I know Denver was you know heavily rotating the receivers. Um, even with Spencer and Juwan Winfrey and stuff. And so a lot of those young receivers and young offensive players and even Fant um, as well, you want to see what opportunity, what, what they're going to do with the opportunities now that Sanders isn't there soaking up some of the targets. Um, and so I'll be really interested to watch them over the back half of the season. So quick trivia question for you. Who took the second most snaps at the wide receiver position for the Broncos on Sunday? Oh, man, I haven't looked at it. So this is truly a guess. Um, Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. 
Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. There's Spencer or Winfrey. I'm going to say Spencer. Fred Brown. Oh, wow. It went Cortland Sutton with 68 snaps, Fred Brown with 46, Deshaun Hamilton with 45 snaps. Yeah, and so there's another, you know, another young receiver as well um, to make the mo- see if he can make the most of his opportunities. So, yeah, I, I think it's the void that Sanders um, left is a positive thing on the offensive side if they can continue to learn and develop. For sure. I mean, they, they got to see what these young guys got. Sanders was never in the plans for next season, so got to see if there's another guy that can emerge. Otherwise, you got to start looking elsewhere. And right now. The Broncos still seem to be trying to find that that number two guy. I mean, Cortland Sutton, he's a star. I mean, it's not that he's a star in the making. He is actually a star. But beyond him, the Broncos really don't have that number two option for an offense. And really, you need three. And so, you're, I mean, you're hoping yep. for Noah Fant to continue to grow and, and, and to become that true number two option, number three option. But again, you're needing that other guy. And so is it Hamilton? Is it Fred Brown? Is it Winfrey as he get, continues to grow? We don't know yet, but that, that's kind of the, the exciting part, at least for me. I mean, I know you're in that same boat. You and I kind of like the, the evaluation side of things. It's not always the, the results that get us excited. I mean, those are good too, but it's also seeing the, the whole process to get to those results. And, and so, yeah, it's going to be fun to watch these guys see what they can do on the field and, and see if the Broncos can find another diamond in the rough. Yep, absolutely. All right, well, we're going to take one final break, and then we'll get to a few more questions, and we'll get on out of here. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Hey, guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, and welcome back to Building the Broncos. We're, we're getting ready to, to close out this episode here, but I got a few more questions for Jeff before he leaves because I don't want to miss any opportunity to, to hear his thoughts and, and gather his wisdom on the Broncos. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> but uh, no, so next question here. I am ready to move on from blank player as soon as the season ends. Garrett Bowles. I think that was a pretty easy one. I don't think it needs too much explanation because, I mean, it's just it's easy to see. He's not the guy. He's not going to be the future at the left tackle position, and if he is, you better be on your hands and knees praying that he doesn't get your quarterback injured. <laughs> so, uh, all right, next one then. Blank has been the player. Blank player has been the biggest surprise for me this season. I think Alexander Johnson. We've talked about it a little bit already, um, but he just came out of nowhere. And you probably, probably Alexander Johnson and Mike Purcell uh, um, have been, you know, kind of come out of nowhere guys and really embodied that. Um, you know, it's it's been a Bronco trend and a big Fangio trend of just pulling guys kind of out of nowhere or you know undrafted guys or, or guys that were low draft picks and plugging them in. 
and um, them really shining in his defense. And so, um, yeah, Alexander Johnson's been excellent this year. All right, I'm going to throw a different name at you, Demarcus Walker. Yeah, yeah. I I was not a fan of the draft pick. Uh, if I mean, most of our listeners know, Nick and I were very, very against that one. Thought it was one of the worst reaches the Broncos have had in a while. And then, of course, his first couple years in the NFL really solidified that thought. And so coming into this offseason, we were just on the get this guy out of here train. And all of a sudden, to see him emerge and actually become a playmaker and one of the best defensive linemen for the Broncos this season has been an absolute surprise for me. Yeah, and I like how they've been using him too, um, using him to his strengths, not, you know, because he's still, to me, on, on film, he gets pushed around a little bit in the running game, but he's he's gotten a little bit stouter, but they're not, you know, they're not asking him to go in there and play on, you know, as a um, defensive end all the time in their base packages. They're moving him around and using him as a kind of a rush, you know, a rush end in their um, – sub packages and so i love it play into his strengths and it's it's you know it shows you the contrasting coaching staffs too too of um you know when you're able to put a guy in the position to succeed like we all were screaming for vance joseph and and those guys to do when he you know first came in for sure all right so then the other side of this blank player has been the biggest disappointment for me this season i'm gonna go with shelby harris um he was a guy that you know, everybody was really high on, and I was really high on too coming into the season and excited for him to get more playing time and excited to see what he could do in Fangio's defense. Um, I think they miscast him a little bit at, at nose tackle, and they did a bit of a disservice to him potentially for playing him for, you know, even just a couple weeks at that spot as, you know, he was he was never really slated to, to, be, um, to be that. And so I'm glad they've kicked him kind of back out to a defensive end with Mike Purcell coming in, but he just hasn't shown, you know, what I've expected to see from him. I think he's been excellent in batted balls. Um, that's been really cool to see, you know, the, you know, Bill Kolar is, I'm sure really happy with that in terms of um, he's, he's stopped all kinds of plays um, and saved the secondary several times by batting balls down. And so um, he's he flashed in that regard, but really hasn't shown as much as, as a pass rusher to me. Um, and in the running game as well, it has struggled at times. I think he's been solid, but he hasn't really. And, and so that's not, you know, that's to clarify, like I'm, I'm not like super down on Shelby Harris, but for a guy, maybe we just had too big of expectations for him coming into this season and you know expected him to kind of be that breakout player that would just dominate on the defensive line um, now that he had opportunity and was in Fangio's defense and I just I just haven't seen it so far this season yeah I'm, I'm with you for sure on that one all right final question we'll get you out of here the best case scenario for the Broncos moving forward this season is blank I think you've got to get George Juan James back healthy. I can't you know, stress that enough, um, how big a difference it would be to have at least one solid tackle position. And really that's what, you know, that's what you were expecting when Denver signed him. And that was the plan coming into the season is that, you know, like we didn't plan for to have two open tackle positions essentially um, coming into the season. And so I think if you can get back on track and get back to what, was initially planned that can really go a long way to giving you a true evaluation of drew lock and so i think you've got to get him healthy and get lock in there to to play some games behind him 
to to really give him an opportunity to show you what he can do. Yeah, I'm with you. It's it's really about the the evaluation of the young players, especially Drew Locke. And I mean, there's no position you have to get figured out more than quarterback. But especially if you can get some kind of evaluation on Drew Locke and see, okay, maybe we can at least trust this guy for next season and we can start trying to surround him with talent. And so then you go into the draft and and in free agency and you work to surround Drew Locke with as much talent as you possibly can. And 2020 say, okay, this is not going to be all on your shoulders, young man. Uh, I mean, that's going to be huge for them to be able to get that kind of of evaluation and like we said you're not going to get a full evaluation you're not going to be fully able to say that quarterback's completely off the table but at least you get a view of them at least you get to see it, something that gives you either at least a little bit of hope or makes you kind of go okay we really need to be looking at this 2020 class because th- there are some some pretty good players at the quarterback position in the 2020 class and so I, I don't know it'll be interesting just to see that but but it's it's one of those things where the season is not a complete loss I, I think too many people had – it gets easy to, to hype up your own team and yep. say, of course, you know, they brought in all these new players, Callahan, James, and Flacco, and Broncos are back on track. They're playoff bound. That's not going to be every season. And I, I guess for me, I knew it was going to be kind of a, a transition year with new coaching staff. You, you're going to expect that there's going to be some rocky bumps along the way. And so far, that has been true. But uh, at least there's there's been some promising signs, and I'll take that for right now. Yep, totally agree. All right. Well, I want to thank you, Jeff, for coming on the show, man. It's been just a, a true pleasure to to have you on and and to hear your thoughts on the Broncos. And we're we're definitely gonna have to have you on more often. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been an honor these last two episodes to jump in and it's been a, been a lot of fun and um really you know like i said again appreciate what you guys do and and all the great content y'all are turning out and so i'm in anytime y'all let me know and um we'll we'll do it again for this sure was a lot of fun uh like i said make sure that you're you're finding him on twitter at jeff essary and and make sure you're following his stuff he's already hinted at some things that is coming up uh, any other big projects you're working on right now um, that the big one is really looking at Rich Scangarello and Kyle Shanahan's offense because I think that's that's going to be a thing that'll continue to pop up, you know, throughout this season. And so, really want to dig in um, on that. And then, you know, I haven't had a chance to pop open the tape yet from the Colts game, and so there'll be some stuff coming out of that, I'm sure too. All right. Well, make sure you also head on over to milehighhuddle.com, an affiliate of the Maven Coalition and Sports Illustrated, as we're going to have lots of of content coming out here and and trying to break down what's going on with the Broncos. But also make sure you head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and comment. Your support can help us continue to bring you our Denver Bronco deep dives. You can follow the Building the Broncos podcast and all of our great audio content by subscribing to Huddle Up Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter at Mile High Huddle and at BTB Football Pod. For Jeff and, of course, newly married Nick, I'm Carl, wrapping up another episode of the Building the Broncos podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and we will see you soon. And, of course, as Nick always loves to finish the episode, go Broncos. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. 
Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.